0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, guys? It's an exciting time of the year for UFC 251. It's going to be one hell of a card, baby, and without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action, and we have the best place for you to go. My bookie, for the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, Try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. My bookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. And if you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000, which means if you deposit two grand right now, you'll get an extra grand in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV, that's capital BLV, to activate the offer, once again, that promo code is capital BLV. To activate your offer from my bookie, bet, win, get paid. My bookie. What's up, everybody? Today is June twenty second, a Monday, two thousand and twenty. Episode two hundred nine of the podcast presented by Belly Up Sports. Be sure to follow Belly Up Sports on Twitter and on the IG at. Belly Up Sports. We're presented by TickPick and Mecha Nutrition. If you're into banging weights, eating steaks, and sleeping eights, head on over to NutritionStore.com right now for $20 off using the promo code OSHO20. That's capital O-S-H-O-W-20 for $20 off. Your next order, remember, Swole is the goal. Size is the prize. Today is June 22nd, a Monday. I'm recording this on a Saturday, June 20th, 2020. June 20th, 2020, Mark's 40 years, the 40 year anniversary on June 20th of the Blues Brothers that came out on June 20th, 1980. And for a movie that came out four decades ago, a lot of the Blues Brothers at least in the movie, still feels very relevant in today's world with everything that's been going on over the past few months or so. And even Dan Aykroyd, who was a co-screenwriter and co-star with John Belushi in this movie, said that it's anti-Nazi and it's anti-racist. And he said that it kind of uh, generates uh, African-American culture and kind of recognizes African-American performers and artists. And while any other cultural conversation today might cite that this movie is an example of appropriate. Creation and quote-unquote white saviors kind of rescuing the blues in 1973. I mean, the movie's origin... It seemed innocent enough. And when John Belushi, who was then, I think, only 24 years old, Jesus, uh, he journeyed from Chicago to Toronto to scout uh, Second City performers for the National Lampoon Radio Hour, and he said that it was love at first sight. Dan Aykroyd, who was only 21 at this time, um, he recalled the first meeting saying that uh, both him, Aykroyd, and John Belushi went to Aykroyd's 505 Club, where he introduced John Belushi, who was a self-professed kind of heavy metal lover at the time uh, to the blues and Howard Shore was a composer of the Lord of the Rings trilogy he suggested that the two comedians start a band called the Blues Brothers and of course three years later Aykroyd and Belushi debuted uh, the act on Saturday Night Live performing vocals and harmonica and it was backed by I think the Shores SNL house band and other of course heavy hitters Uh, I mean among them were Stax Records uh, legend Steve Cropper on lead guitar and then Donald Dunn on bass but the Blues Blues Brothers' first LP, their first album that came out in 1978, it was the 1978s, Briefcase Full of Blues, it reached number one on the Billboard 200 and went double platinum and, and the movie who, 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 I think it was directed by John Landis at the time um, in which of course these two boys they blazed a path of destruction in search of either 5000 10000 I think it was $5,000 to save a Catholic orphanage it featured performances by James Brown Ray Charles and Aretha Franklin who I guess didn't like the idea of being in a waitress uniform though that scene was probably the best scene in the entire movie but, but you know aside from the 25-minute police car chase at the end. But apparently Aretha Franklin was very shy by the nature, I mean, if you can believe that, of wearing a a waitress outfit. But in its review, uh, The Blues Brothers was raved. I mean, it was the funniest and most outrageous movie of that year. And again, that was the first SNL movie ever, And I think it was a $20 million budget. Um, It's worth $62 million today. It earned $57 million domestically and $177 million in uh, 2020. So it's still making a shit ton of money. And Dan Aykroyd actually did an interview with The Hollywood Reporter uh, basically saying it started with radio stations that he got on his shortwave in Detroit, Boston, and New York. And there was a club called Lucky Blue in Ottawa, Canada. That uh, There was a nightclub right on Sussex Drive. Right on the uh, the same street where the Prime Minister's house was And the promoter and his partner They bought in to all of the stars of that blues circuit at the time And he said that he wrote 300 pages uh, that This was the first draft of writing the Blues Brothers Co-writing the Blues Brothers And with all the characters, all the possible locations All the possible stunts He said that he remembered somebody telling him That there, there were in, they were in a typing pool at Universal And the woman in there uh, was typing up the Blues Brothers manuscript from his rough draft typing and he said that all of them were laughing at the same time. He said he thought, wow like we're in pretty good shape here and and John Landis of course took that and wrestled it down into a much shorter draft and I guess you could say the whole thing, the whole Blues Brothers origin started the night that John Belushi came to Chicago to recruit uh, the National Lampoon Radio Hour back in 1973. He said he, he came up to uh, Canada to recruit for National Lampoon and that he managed to kind of poach Gilda Radner, but he couldn't go. Uh, this is Dan Aykroyd speaking. He couldn't go, but the first time that uh, the both of them met, he came into the back door of Second City, and it's kind of a swirling, uh, I guess he called it a swirling February night of just snowflakes, and he really wasn't dressed for the occasion, completely under underdressed for that cold night. I mean, I think he said he was wearing a, a white scarf, uh, cable-knit wool sweater, sneakers, a uh, pack of butts in his hands, and he He came into the back door and it was almost like uh, and these are his words, love at first sight when he saw Belushi, and he heard about him, and of course Belushi heard about Aykroyd. And then they came back, uh, then he came back to the 505 Club, Aykroyd's 505 Club that he had, and it was a little office front that um, Aykroyd had on Queen Street, where all the people would go after hours in Toronto, and artists, streetcar drivers, dancers, cops, you name it. Everybody coming off duty at 1 o'clock in the morning that couldn't get a drink would come to the 505 Club in Including their entire SNL cast and, and there was a, a record playing it was called Straight Up by uh, Downchild Blues Band and John uh, Landis was listening to it and he said wow that, that's really cool music well um, and this is what Ackroyd said to him he's like well John you're from Chicago you know it's blues music and he said well I'm into heavy metal you know grand funk and you know cream and, th- and then he said well you know it comes from the blues, and and we got uh, or they got into a discussion, and Howard Shore was was there uh, the night in Toronto, and a couple of the other associates that he said, uh, that he said, well, you guys should start a band and call it the Blues Brothers. So prior to Saturday Night Live, they had cooked that up before they even were casted on SNL. Uh, and Belushi was just, you know, an instinctive, natural singer, according to Aykroyd. And uh, he was a blaster. If you if you look at these great frontmen of these uh, bands, you know, Cab Calloway at the time, uh, Jimmy Lunsford, Johnny Otis, uh, Kay Kaiser, they, they were they were funny on stage. The frontmen were always funny. And there was always a comic uh, pattern going on, especially with uh, John Belushi. And just to quickly go back on the Aretha Franklin story of how she didn't like the idea of being a wait- in, in a waitress uniform, I guess she didn't think it would be flattering, it wouldn't look flattering, but then um, Deborah uh, Nadelham, who was, I guess, their custom designer, she fitted the uniform so that she looked really uh, good in it, I guess. It kind of brought out her figure and then... Once she got the right shoes, sorted out to dance around in the right moves from the choreographer, I think his name was Carlton Johnson, and uh, she began to, I guess, gain confidence. She was very shy by nature, Aretha, and uh, if you can believe that, she was... A great vocalist, no doubt, um, effusive, but I guess shy. So basically, it wasn't they weren't sure if she could pull it off. But then she she cut the song. Uh, they wanted think, which was awesome, uh, badass, if you, if you will. So she cut the song, and it was a great pop and crisp version of it uh, with the Blues Brothers uh, behind her. And I, I guess Ackroyd said that he had butterflies in his stomach when when that music started, and that they were sitting on the bench. They started to cover her first and were just sitting there watching. And he said that he went weak because it was just so powerful. Uh, And it was just an electric, lovely, totally, fluidic, uh, the rhythmic piece of music and film all married together, all meshed up into one, and he almost fell off the chair, he said, with that uh, scene with Aretha Franklin. But it's really amazing to see how this all culminated again, about like eight years in the making before they even shot it. That was all the way back in 1973 when they first met and decided, or at least started flirting with the idea to form the Blues Brothers Band. Uh, 1980, obviously, this movie came out when they were already on the cast of SNL, and this was the first Saturday Night Live movie Ever, Uh, I think it was five years into Saturday Night Live Because they were the original cast At least a part of the original cast John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd So I wanted to get into uh, Why this is the one and possibly only Rare occasion where SNL produced um, A very successful movie That's still making a ton of money today And we'll get into that Right after this quick word from our handy-dandy sponsor Over at TickPick I'm so bummed show tomorrow and now it's sold out it's her freaking birthday oh dude she's definitely gonna break up with you he's definitely gonna break up with me talking blues brothers 40th anniversary on this monday june 20th 2020 and when the blues brothers landed in theaters 40 years ago this week it was something uh it was just something of magic i mean the first feature film based on characters from saturday night live which had at that point again like i mentioned only had been on the air for five years, and though it was a hit, no one would try again to produce a movie, at least SNL uh, cast members, for 12 years. I think it was Mike Myers' Wayne's World was the next movie that came out of that group, uh, or at least out of that promotion, and after which... The floodgates opened, obviously. Farley and Spade had uh, Tommy Boy, Adam Sandler had a ton of movies back then. Uh, uh, but there was one key difference, I think, between the Blues Brothers and the bulk of those SNL inspired films that followed. The show's creator and longtime producer, still is the producer, Lorne Michaels was not involved in any way in filming the Blues Brothers. And that, frankly, may be one of the reasons why it's better than the rest of the SNL movies. Not to say Lauren Michaels isn't a genius in his own right. He is. But when it came to filmmaking, uh, John Landis directing this one, obviously there was a clear difference. Because the difference is, from the beginning, John Landis opens the Blues Brothers with a series of just downright ominous shots of Chicago at night before taking his cameras. Joliet Correctional Center, where Jake Elwood, which was played by John Belushi, I think John Belushi was Jake Elwood, uh, and Aykroyd was the other. And John Belushi here is being... for good behavior and in the long run um uh, juliet in in the sequence of this movie that opens the movie landis gives belushi then a big name thanks to their collaboration on animal house an honest to god movie star entrance shooting him only from behind from a distance and from kind of oblique angles i think i mean in fact Neither John Belushi nor Dan Aykroyd are seen in the full close-up until they're above the title actor credits, which don't come until six minutes into the movie. And what's striking about this entire opening is, quite simply, how cinematic it is. I mean, there is, to put it mildly... Plenty to say about John Landis as an artist and a human being, but at this point in his career, he knew how to put a movie together. And and Lauren Michaels, I mean, the Lauren Michaels movies that would follow, on the other hand, always felt like television, and for good reason, he's a television producer. But the the peculiar, specific, and probably irreplaceable circumstance of the Blues Brothers is that it can treat these characters in that moment and throughout the two plus hours that follow as uh, mythological figures. Because in writing the film, Dan Aykroyd was building that mythology. His original screenplay, much like his first pass at Ghostbusters not long after, was a legendary behemoth. 324 pages, according to Bob Woodward's Belushi biography, Wired, which you can get at uh, Barnes & Noble. Or roughly, you know, three times the length of a, a normal screenplay. less. Less a point A to point B narrative than kind of a freewheeling bible to the Blues Brothers universe, and John Landis was taxed with turning this this monster script into a workable screenplay, and barely got the job done. But Dan Aykroyd had had the freedom to build that mythology because the characters weren't at the mercy of Saturday Night Live fan service. I mean, Jake and Elwood Blues. Had appeared on the show several times, but not only in musical performances. There were there were no Blues Brothers sketches to build from or, you know, bullshit catchphrases and no interpersonal dynamics beyond the energy that John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd generated while performing blues and R&B standards. I mean, there was, to be sure... A tradition to step into, most pointly in in the Chess Paul set piece, the Blues Brothers works the quote-unquote slobs versus snobs dynamic, present in Animal House and and on Saturday Saturday Night Live, and also a year later in a fellow SNL alum, Chevy Chase and Bill Murray's Caddyshack, But the the key cultural heritage of this film is one almost entirely disconnected from Saturday Night Live. And it's big screen spin-offs. At its best, it's, it's a good old-fashioned movie musical. And this was a peculiar time for the genre, kind of veering from mindless exercises like Grease and Sgt. Pepper to kind of new subversions like All That Jazz, and there was New York, New York. But the Blues Brothers falls somewhere in between these, mounting kind of the band songs and the special guest appearances as big, bold production numbers, and often prompted in that grand movie musical tradition by the the thinnest of excuses and John Landis staging and camera blocking aren't always up to the task, but the performers are so interesting, so electrifying, it it doesn't really matter and subsequent critics would accuse Dan Aykroyd and and his entire crew of cultural appropriation, homogenicizing and and kind of commercializing the idea of blues to line with their, you know, pockets and there's undeniable truth to that charge. But it's also worth commending kind of the filmmakers for boosting these acts. At, at a at a moment when mainstream pop audiences had mostly forgotten them, and, and studio executives were reportedly pressing for the inclusion of more marketable performers, unsurprisingly, they 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 take over the movie. And when we think about the best scenes in the Blues Brothers, we think of James Brown and Aretha Franklin and Ray Charles and Cab Calloway. I mean, scenes where John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd are bystanders or at the most backup singers. You know, I mean, those weren't the only the Those weren't the only battles they fought either. I mean, the shoot was a notorious boondoggle, if you will. I'll use that word. Going, you know, weeks over schedule and millions over budget, pushed into production on the strength of a telephone pitch. Before it was ready because Universal wanted another animal house as quickly as possible, you know? But some of that frenetic quality translates on screen, particularly in the the gigantic, you know, thrilling car chase sequences, especially at the end, though. The joy of those scenes is drained considerably if you know anything about John Landis's conduct on uh, the Twilight Zone, which was, I think, three years after that in 83. But considering all those scenes and, and the scale of the movie overall, it's not so surprising that lauren michaels wasn't involved at that point he'd not yet produced a feature film but the idea apparently wasn't even considered by either party uh by that point in the show's uh run i think according to a couple of executives from saturday night live there was some quote-unquote jealousy and some disdain for the blues brothers in the halls of uh, Studio 8H and particularly by Lauren Michaels because the Blues Brothers existed outside of his atmosphere and his his sphere of influence at this point and because John didn't give him credit for having provided the platform that launched them in the first place he was pretty PO'd but Dan Aykroyd and especially John Belushi became so focused on the weekly Blues Brothers numbers that they began to lose patience with the whole Lauren Michaels show and Lauren Michaels fiasco uh, surrounding it and, and the fighting between Belushi and Michaels grew even more relevant apparently and John Belushi was doing so much coke by then I'll just say that out loud he did a lot he did a lot of drugs obviously culminated in the end of his life uh, but he was doing so much drugs by then that Lauren Michaels might have not wanted to deal with him outside of the show anyways and instead he focused ...on Arrival Project, which was a solo uh, Gilda Radner showcase... ...followed by the Blues Brothers kind of template of live performance, live album and film. In this case, a film record of quote-unquote Gilda Live on Broadway. And the tension between the two projects and like kind of the two productions... ...both of which were in production during the 1979 hiatus of Saturday Night Live... ...grew so fierce that John Belushi told Paul Shafter and Bob uh, Tischler... ...who had agreed to co-produce uh, Gilda Live... And were respectively uh, musical director and album producer for the Blues Brothers that they could not do both of those productions and they refused to choose sides. And then once Skilled Alive opened on Broadway and clearly needed more work, Lauren Michaels forced Schaffer uh, to stay in New York and drop out of the Blues Brothers mere days before shooting was to begin for the movie. But Lauren Michaels learned his lesson here, I guess. I mean, Guild Alive was a commercial failure, but the Blues Brothers overcame its mixed reviews and grossed over, I think, $100 million worldwide at the time, and he couldn't get a cent of it. I mean, he he attempted to mount uh, another film, the Saturday Night Live movie, in 1990. It never made it past... Screenplay stage, but two years later, Wayne's World grossed over 100 million in the United States alone, so he did make up for it. I mean, that film, like The Blues Brothers, had the advantage of an honest to goodness director at its helm. Several of the subsequent Saturday Night Live spinoffs had no such luck in films like Coneheads. I think there was a, a Night at the Roxbury Superstar, Ladies Man, you name it, proved that as a filmmaker, a film producer, Lauren Michaels was a great television producer. And, and, and the few Saturday Night Live movies movies that genuinely uh, uh, worked do so because they were treated as movies, not just extensions uh, of a TV show. But still to this day, like I started the segment with, is that the Blues Brothers is probably the best SNL-esque movie that's ever been produced, ever been made, because it's still grossing in millions even today, and I want to get into the top 10 best scenes from the movie after this quick word from TickPick. (laughs) TickPick. Birthday. Oh dude. She's, totally gonna She's definitely going to break up with you. He's definitely going to break up with you. Should have used pick Wait, what'd you say? pick Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, pick I thought you said tick pick No hidden fees. Download today. Talking Blues Brothers on this Monday, 40-year anniversary two days ago on June 20th and the Blues Brothers man they just won't quit and it's been 40 years since Belushi and Akroyd uh brought the SNL characters Jake and Elwood Blues to the Blues Brothers movie and again a loud money making car smashing Love Letter to both Chicago and Rhythm and Blues, and the Blues Brothers, again, made more than $115 million in theaters initially worldwide after it was released on June 20th, 1980, even though John Landis and the crew really couldn't identify whether the movie was a comedy, a musical, a classic. Or an expensive disaster I mean I I mean There's so many Cool things that happen In this movie Scene wise There's a lot of great facts As well I mean Like we said Dan Aykroyd wrote the first draft Of the Blues Brothers Which was 324 pages long I mean It was his first attempt At writing a screenplay And Dan Aykroyd Penned together a script That was nearly Three times the length Of an average movie I mean It didn't really help matters That he had never really Read a screenplay before either But John Landis Put together a much shorter uh, Filmable version In just three weeks afterwards I mean uh, John Belushi was paid twice as much as Dan Aykroyd for the Blues Brothers. Belushi made $500,000 for his work, and Aykroyd received just 250000 And the guy co-wrote the movie, which is ridiculous. But uh, uh, Chicago created its own film office for the Blues Brothers, and most of the Blues Brothers was shot throughout Chicago, which wasn't a, a, a major film production hotspot at the time. And while it pumped about $12 million into the local economy, all those car stunts scared residents enough that Many of them called the local newspapers to report what they were seeing, which is kind of funny. Uh, The the mall car chase in the Blues Brothers was shot in a real uh, shopping mall. And the scene was filmed at the Dixie Square Mall in Harvey, Illinois, which had been kind of shuttered in 1979 before the film commenced. Though the mall never really reopened. It was only finally, I guess, torn down in 2013. Uh, the Blues Brothers used 13 different blues mobiles. I guess. All, all of the car chases and stunts were real and not created with CGI. So 40 stunt drivers were flown in every weekend to do all that dirty work. And, and 60 old po- police officers were purchased for $400 a piece. And, and the filmmakers got permission to drive down uh, Lake Street at speeds of over 100 miles per hour. And after one take, John Landis realized it looked like he was just speeding up. Up the film so so he got uh, uh stunt pedestrians to walk down the sidewalks to show just how fast the cars were really going in the film and a ditch was dug so the cars in the, in the big pileup scene would flip when they hit it so one stunt driver drove off of a 150 foot long ramp amazingly only a few minor injuries were ever reported throughout shooting this entire film during all of these chases and one of the blues brothers stunt drivers was actually john wayne's son So the Duke, John the Duke Wayne, the Duke's uh, youngest son, Ethan Wayne, began his acting career in 1970, but he he kind of supplemented his work in front of the the camera with a handful of stunting stints, including one on the Blues Brothers, so that's interesting. Of course, uh, I think history has it that Dan Aykroyd and Carrie Fisher became engaged while filming the Blues Brothers. Uh, Dan Aykroyd and Carrie Fisher were, I guess, already a couple at that point. Carrie Fisher, of course, Princess Leia, she's well known for in Star Wars, Um, uh, but apparently... Was set up by John Belushi, who became um, uh, a heavy factor in this relationship. And Dan Aykroyd and Carrie Fisher became engaged after Aykroyd successfully administered the uh, Heimlich maneuver on her. Apparently, I guess he almost choked on some kind of vegetable that couldn't that, that he shouldn't have been eating. I guess Brussels sprouts or something. And uh, that uh, I guess Dan Aykroyd saved Carrie Fisher's life, and then he asked her to marry him. And she thought, wow, if, if that happens again, I should probably marry him. But the wedding, of course, never ended up happening. Uh, Carrie Fisher wasn't the Blues Brothers' only connection to Star Wars, apparently. Frank Oz, known mostly for his work as a puppeteer, plays the corrections officer who returns um, Jake's belongings in the very beginning of the movie. He was, of course, the man behind Yoda, who made his debut on The Empire Strikes Back, which debuted one month before that and was still number one on the box office when the Blues Brothers premiered and had to settle for second place. And, and the studio wanted the band who sang uh, Car Wash in the movie instead of Aretha Franklin for the Blues Brothers. I mean, I guess Universal wanted new acts like uh, uh, Rose Royce, uh, the band behind uh, hits like Car Wash and I Want to Get Next to You, but Dan Aykroyd and the company said no, and Universal later generated a PR effort to get Aretha Franklin an Oscar nomination for a performance. I mean, the movie helped revitalize her career in a sense um Paul Rubens has a small but visible role in the Blues Brothers as well Paul Rubens is the actor who uh would become best known for Pee Wee Herman played by a waiter at at Chez Paul before the band is fully back together towards the end of the movie uh Paul Schaffer was kicked out of the band before the Blues Brothers movie was filmed I guess despite putting the group of uh this entire group together the future uh david letterman band leader his choice to help co-produce a gilda Radner album over helping the blues brothers project upset john belushi and john belushi crashed uh, at a at a stranger's house one night before filming the blues brothers dan Aykroyd followed uh, a path to a house with a light on uh, one uh, late during production i guess one late night during production looking for his co-star, John Belushi. I guess he discovered that a man had allowed John Belushi into his home to take advantage of a full fridge and sleep on his couch for the night before they started shooting. So that's odd. You would not see that in 2020, though there are a lot of Airbnbs out there, so may have to eat my words, but John Belushi, I guess, hurt himself on a kid's skateboard before filming the Blues Brothers' big finish towards the end. The filmmakers had to convince um, uh, uh, Belushi to attend uh, over Thanksgiving weekend so that he'd be able to perform the the cartwheels and dance steps required for the big finale. Uh, Of course, the movie got some bad reviews too. I mean, the Blues Brothers is a comedy classic today, but not everyone was a fan up until its initial release. I think it was Newsweek that described it as desperately unfunny. And the Los Angeles... Times called it a $30 million wreck. Uh, Who's laughing now? But the Blues Brothers was really, really popular in Australia and all other parts of the world, similar to uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show in New York. The Blues Brothers was shown regularly in Melbourne's uh, Valhalla Cinema on Friday nights throughout the 1980s and the 1990s, where as many as 400 people uh, costume, dressed up people, costume fans would watch as 30 actors recreated the scenes as the movie played, with everybody singing along to the musical performances. Uh, John Landis said that the film was the first ever to grow, uh, to ever gross more money overseas than in the United States, and obviously it was a huge hit in Chicago as well, uh, I mean, a quarter century ago. The Blues Brothers just embraced Chicago, as no other film has before or since. And the movie tapped directly into the heart of the city, harnessing its energy and will to get things done on a a much bigger scale than anywhere else. I mean, it, it exploited its sense of humor and willingness to laugh at itself. And in turn, Chicago opened its arms to the film in a way that seemed unlikely now, impossible now. The end result is a movie that established itself in the minds of many as one of the classic comedies, you know, in Indeed movies of all time. And even 25 years later, it plays on television hundreds of times a day, shown in any one of 45 countries Uh, then that's according to john landis i mean it's really attained some kind of mythic stature i mean it's become part of the culture and no one would suggest that this musical comedy with cartoon-like characters was on par with you know like citizen kane or other cinematic masterpieces it's a simple story of a pair of orphan misfit brothers uh, uh uh jake and elwood blues trying to reunite their band in an effort to save their orphanage but it took on issues of the day in its own way I mean it poked fun at the Nazis who had recently been granted the right to march into Skokie, Illinois by the U.S. Supreme Court it took jabs at the Catholic Church the tax collecting Cook County Assessor and the Board of Education Um, even the movie's climax kind of transcended the the farcical car chase at the end of uh, the movie and former Mayor Jane Byrne said at the time that by allowing the Bluesmobile to plow through Daly Plaza and crash through the glass walls of the Daily Center lobby. She was striking a blow at the heart of the Democratic machine. And John Landis said that in light of how Chicago police treated protesters at the 1968 Democratic Convention, it gave him a really great pleasure to drive through the Richard J. Daly Center. And, and despite the knock on his father, the current mayor, Daly, calls the movie both classic and fun. But while, of course, the Daily Plaza scene occurred at the center of the city, the movie also took viewers around the world to part... Uh, to parts of Chicago rarely seen uh, on the, on, in the movie, on the big screen before. Many will never see that type of uh, action again. I mean, the other original Maxwell Street market prominently featured is gone. And, and and the Plymouth Hotel, where the Blues Brothers slept as L trains rumbled by, was demolished in 1991, 11 years later, signaling the end of the loop seedier side. And most of Harvey's uh, closed Dixie Square Mall site of an over-the-top car chase, and we just mentioned it before, that's been undeveloped for a quarter of a century. And it also showed off the uh, the dark streets below the L, Lower Wacker, the Steel Mills, Lakeshore Drive. And... And, and you know that funny looking Picasso But uh, but Chicago is one of the stars of this movie And that's according to Dan Aykroyd Who, who played Elwood Blues and co-wrote the movie uh, They wrote it as a tribute It also hailed rhythm and blues I mean it was the first feature film for Aretha Franklin and John Lee Hooker And it also showcased such blues favorites like Sweet Home Chicago Which is a hit song on their album And the movie is the sixth highest grossing musical of all time, according to BoxOfficeMojo.com. And the $400 million uh, House of Blues live music empire can be connected to the character's popularity, and there's dozens of Blues Brothers tribute bands around the world. And since then, it's just a film catalog. I mean, the movie has had a profound impact on filmmaking in Chicago, establishing it as an attractive venue for decades before more recent upstarts like Toronto crowded the scene. There was uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the, the, the Fugitive, Barbershop. Those are just a few of the nearly 200 major motion pictures that have been shot in Chicago since then. But its influence on other movies was wide. It's been referred to, it's been referenced, or yeah, referred to as in some 70 other films according to the Internet Movie Database. It remains a part of popcorn even today and just last month Fox, uh, I think it was family guy did a cartoon recreating the mall chase of Blues Brothers. I mean you have to credit the Blues Brothers with putting Chicago very much on the Hollywood radar on the Hollywood map. And the the filming itself Was a major event For Chicago, Illinois At the time It pumped an estimated Twelve million dollars Into the local economy Like we mentioned before During the Three and a half months That crews were in the area And John Belushi Who's a Chicago native Grew up in Wheaton, Illinois Was so popular at the time That he could simply Flag down police cars And they would take him Wherever he wanted to go And that's what he That's what Judy Belushi's Widow uh, Recalls Who She's writing a book About his life Entitled Belushi Of course John Belushi died 1982, at the age of 32, from a drug overdose, two years after shooting this film. Uh, filmmakers, you know, they closed the Kennedy Expressway in, in both directions, dropped a car from more than a thousand feet in the air near Lakeshore Drive, raced cars along Loop streets at more than a hundred miles per hour, and even they took over Daily Plaza for a three-day weekend. Such stunts would be unlikely now, and and residents who were unaccustomed uh, to seeing Hollywood live called local newspapers. Uh, At the car chases that they witnessed And for for some local Chicagoans The movie led to lucrative careers I mean, assistant director David Sosna Originally from Glencoe has had a similar post on 20 additional films from, you know, Jaws 3, Coming to America with Eddie Murphy. Uh, Lowly production assistant Billy Higgins of McHenry is now an executive producer of The Perfect Man, which was released last week. And Chicago, I think he was a location manager, Julie Chandler of Rogers Park, went on to work on 40 other films. I mean, it's a cult classic at this point for everybody. I mean, Murphy Dunn, who's a son of uh, former Cook County board president George Dunn, has since appeared in several movies, TV shows shows commercials but he's still recognized as the blues brothers goofy keyboardist i mean to be part of a cult classic is very much a thrill to these guys and the flick has cultivated a young fan base across the globe too i mean it was the first film to gross more money overseas than in the united states more than half Of the nearly 4,000 members of Blues Brothers Central, the largest fan website ever, are under 30 and and live outside of the United States. And that's what uh, the site founder, Chris Rossi, said in southern Australia. I mean, a lot of people have become fans of blues and soul music because of this movie. Uh, nor does the movie seem dated to many Chicagoans who identify with Jake and Elwood Blues, essentially two guys from the neighborhood, which compromises a large part of what that city is all about. Um, I mean, here they showcased and they're doing amazing adventures so everybody can relate to them and vicariously live uh, through them. Um, You know, uh, uh, what's his face? John Candy's in this movie as well. Beyond that, the movie has endured for so long, quite simply because it's funny and its quotes, its it's script. Uh, The characters were created by Ackroyd and Belushi, two guys from Second City, so Chicago's lasting contribution to comedy was there. They first became popular again on Saturday Night Live before uh, making it big in this movie. But there are just so many great lines in this movie. I mean, how much for the little girl? Um, We're on a mission from God. Uh, And John Candy, orange whip, orange whip, three orange whips. (laughs) And and those classic lines have been repeated and repeated and repeated so many times. They're almost cliche. I mean, it seems almost comical now that initially – Highbrow critics from the East and the West Coast didn't like the movie at all. And again, Newsweek called it desperately funny, while the Los Angeles Times called it a $30 million wreck. And Chicago reviewers, on the other hand, they figured it out the right way. What is a little startling about this movie is somehow it all works. You know, there's even room in the midst of the carnage and the mayhem for a surprising amount of grace, humor, and whimsy. Um, I mean, The Blues Brothers is the best movie ever made in Chicago, Illinois, and that's said by uh, a lot of people. It's a phenomenon. I mean, the films take through 2005. The movie theater box office was $115 million. Soundtrack sales over $1 million sold. The original budget was $12 million. The final budget was $27 million. And again, I'll say this to end the show. The Blues Brothers was a phenomenon. Greatest movie ever made uh, with two SNL casts. Probably the greatest Saturday Night Live movie ever made, ever then, ever now, ever will be the greatest movie that SNL uh, ever produced with John Landis as the director. So again, 40 years of the Blues Brothers. If you've never seen the movie, check it out today. And I know you got a lot of time on your hands because uh, we're still battling this pandemic. We'll see what happens in in the weeks coming forward. This Wednesday on the show, we got another broadcaster in the booth, in the house. We got David Gascon from Fox Sports and ESPN talking Broncos and broadcasting on episode 210, but for now, that will do it for episode 209, presented by Belly Up Sports. Be sure to follow Belly Up Sports on the Twitter at Belly Up Sports, and if you're into banging weights, eating steaks, and sleeping eights, head on over to mechanutritionstore.com right now using the promo code OSHO20, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-20, 20, for $20 off your next order. Remember, swole is the goal, size is the prize. Blues Brothers, baby, hit it, hootie.